Welcome everyone to this week's Careers in Tech Law podcast series from the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology. I'm Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT, and we're lucky today to have two of the nation's top trademark and branding experts here with us. We have Lisa Greenwald-Swire and Charles Baylert, both from the law firm of Fish and Richardson. So I'm just gonna throw the, the first question out to, to you to help us understand what's going on. But it seems like when we talk about brand protection, there are really two parts to the story. You know, one of them is creating new brands and the other is protecting existing brands. So at a, at a high lawyer, what, or sorry, at a high level, kind of what are high-end lawyers doing in this two-part two brand protection space? Uh, sure, I'll start. And then Charles, you could dive in with anything that I've missed. Uh, Wayne, first of all, thank you very much for your time. It's a true honor for us to be here and be able to speak with you today. Um, so what are brands doing to make sure that their new marks are being protected? Was that the question? Yeah, the new mark protection and then uh, old mark protection. Creation yeah. of, of brands. Yeah. So, I mean, the general answer um, on a high level is clearance searching. So there are a lot of smaller firms out there that'll say, oh, yeah, we'll do this search for, you know, $95. And essentially what they're doing is going to USPTO.gov and, and Google and sort of doing a direct hit. A real trademark search uh, really goes through all the likelihood of confusion factors, goes through sort of similar equivalence in meaning and commercial impressions, swapping out vowel sounds, really getting to the core of where there could be an issue, either in prosecution of the mark at the trademark office in the US or globally. Um, we're thinking of meaning like the iconic Nova, no go, can't go for a car is not such a great brand. We're really thinking through all the issues in meaning and commercial impression and making sure that once we've cleared it, we're really filing it in all the countries where the client thinks they may have business in three to five years. And even defensively in some countries is sort of have this acronym of BRIC, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Hong Kong. And we've seen a lot of enforcement infringement issues in those countries. So those are some key countries defensively where we're counseling clients to file as well. Oh, go ahead, Charles. That, that was everything. That's it. We can conclude. Well, I, I'm going to ask a few more since oh. I got you here. Um, one of the things I, I heard you mention was clearance searches. Um, you know, the, the idea that words can be cleared using Google and a USPTO search, pretty straightforward. But uh, having been at the USPTO myself and uh, have some familiarity with their tools, uh, images are a little bit more difficult. So what do you end up doing about clearing images? What's what's the lawyer's role in that? So you're <clears throat> muted, Lisa, so I, I'll take that cue. Um, so we typically, it's our practice to not, well, take a step back. Generally, um, we have a two-step process, a preliminary clearance search, and then a quote, full search. Uh, the prelim is an in-house, production, we use um, paralegals and, and the attorneys to do kind of what you just alluded to, searching the USPTO um, site, 
and uh, the, the register and online and so forth. Um, if we the client's comfortable with the risk profile, we'll then recommend um, the full search. And that is using a vendor that can provide a bit more robust searching abilities and, and, um, and constitutes the full search. So we jump to that step for images. Um, you can search the USPTO um, if it's just a, an image, like a, you know, a logo um, with no word marks, um, uh, but it's, it tends to be kind of a more um, knockout search and less robust than using the vendor's um, services. So that's what we typically utilize just for, to give us the report. And then we, hopefully it's not 900 pages and you're, you're going through it page by page, looking at images, but um, sometimes that, that can be the case, but um, yeah, that's, that's the typical routine we do here at FISH. Well, the only other start... thing I could, um, oh, sorry. The only other thing no, I would no. add is, is once we've done that, a logo is sometimes ripe for filing both at the Patent and Trademark Office as a trademark, but also at the Copyright Office as a copyright. So that sometimes happens as well. And the, the same set of, kind of as I put it, at a higher level, brand protection lawyers would be handling the, the copyright side and the, the trademark side. That's right. Yeah, typically, yes. So that's with with people creating new brands, new marks. Uh, what happens, or I guess, what is the role of a, of a trademark lawyer in protecting existing brands, those marks that have already been around for a few years? Yeah, I mean, so one issue that literally came up this morning with the client is uh, they acquired a company. And the company is in Europe and has only been filed in Europe. But now that a larger entity uh, has acquired them, they now have all of the resources of this larger entity at their disposal. And with that, will grow rapidly, right? So we want to look at where is the parent company filing? Where are the gaps in protection? Maybe they only protected for A and B goods and services. But now that this parent owns them, we need to protect for X, Y, and Z services as well. And we want to make sure we're going to cover, like they don't even have the U.S. covered. We want to make sure that we're going to cover key markets of expansion now that they have a new parent and sort of the scope of where this business will go is much broader now post-acquisition. So do you end up working with in-house counsel and trying to just understand how they might be expanding their brands or who might be expanding into their space? That's a great question. And one of the things I actually love about our practice is it really depends on the client. So we have big publicly traded clients that have huge legal departments and we're talking to really, truly a trademark and copyright counsel. Uh, for smaller clients, we might be speaking with head of IP or a general counsel. And we have some startup clients that don't have in-house counsel yet. So we're really communicating with a CEO and or CFO and, and CMO. Um, sometimes quite sophisticated, but, but not lawyers. So it kind of depends on the client. So what I, what I hear you saying is there's actually quite a bit of client interaction and a lot of nuance in, in especially the brand protection side of it um, in trying to determine what makes sense to do, what is 
maybe too small, kind of which fights to pick and which ones to walk away from. Yes. Well, there, there are other pieces that pop up in kind of the, the broader view of brand protection, like false advertising and, and licensing of brands from one company to the next. Is that a, a typical practice for a, a trademark attorney? Yeah, I, so I, I think, um, and I, I spoke with um, another fish colleague at Berkeley a couple of years ago, and I like with the target being the students and and kind of what what is a typical day, I guess, or or week like as a trademark associate, um, and I think it's kind of basically these these big picture highlight items we're talking about um, kind of the creation of the brand um, which can go more into the advisory counseling um, trademark prosecution side um, and then the enforcement which I, I'm viewing kind of like a, 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 a spectrum here so that's in the middle where you're um, you know if there's a typically clients will have even the a smaller client um, will have a trademark watch for you know the the house mark um and and so well if there's a uh something that's kind of similar a, a trademark filing we obviously report that to the client um and then in terms of enforcement the question is okay is it similar enough um how strong is our mark um you know if we're a smaller client it's usually not an issue of being a quote trademark bully but if um, you know it's a, a a big company that this isn't their house mark, it's a, a less you know one of their smaller brands or products, and maybe it's somewhat diluted. You know, you're saying, okay, well, we can maybe live with this scope of coexistence and not say, you know, drop drop the application, no use. So there's a lot of nuance in that in weighing how strong is our case? Should we enforce? what what are we asking as as the the, the goal um, and that's i think kind of in this middle spectrum of of the job duties or, or tasks that you do as a trademark associate and then when you move all the way into the more adversarial side um, you're getting into ttab proceedings um, opposition cancellation proceedings and then potentially you know uh, federal court uh, district court litigation um, when if, if this, for example, a cease and desist letter is, is not working out and maybe there's prior use as well and the other side's not budging, it could it could go that route um, or, you know, more typically into an opposition, um, which mostly they settle, but it's you're, you're creeping into that litigation mindset. So I think for any students out there debating or you know thinking about what area of law to, to specialize in, I I think beyond just being interested in the subject matter of trademark and copyright, which typically those are handled together in the same group, um, uh, it's it's what kind of skills are you utilizing? And I think as a trademark practitioner, you're utilizing a lot of different skills that um, if you're just a litigator, you're maybe just litigating or you know. Um, working on settlement and then that kind of occasionally a, a transactional you know agreement but not that much whereas if you're a transactional attorney you're on that side and not really 
you know, either making an argument before the, the court or um, opposing counsel, or certainly not really in an adversarial position. So I think that balance is what I enjoy the most, in addition to just the kind of the subject matter and, and working with different clients and, and things like that. So I don't think I answered your question, but I just gave my spiel so that the students, uh, if they were there two years ago, can ignore that. Well, no, that's an, it's an interesting point about the, it's kind of a full spectrum practice. Um, we tend to think of transactional or litigation, that those are two mutually exclusive groups made up of people with wildly different personalities. Um, having been a former litigator myself, I, I can say those things. Um, but uh, what you're suggesting is the trademark practice actually forces people to move across multiple areas from the business side, the transactional side, and or, be prepared or, to step into federal court. Or allows you to. Doesn't force you to. Uh, it depends on how you look at it. No. Uh, see, see, that's the old litigator piece in me. You don't yeah. allow you force. <laughs> see, see, it's already coming out. Yep. Um, is that a beer? That's awesome. <laughs> happy hour here. No, this is, uh, this is water. Yeah. So, so no video will be recorded here. So we're going to defend <laughs> Charles. That was water for anybody listening to this later on. Well, in that um, case, if there is no video, yeah. So, um, so maybe yeah. oh, go ahead, Lisa. I was just going to say. I mean, I actually think the only areas of law that really allow that crossover are probably employment law and trademark law. I'm not really aware of other practice groups that allow you to stretch your brain and allow you to just simply counsel clients on questions they might have that pop up and then allow you to enforce in such a wide spectrum. So there's smaller matters that are like takedowns and maybe false advertising. Um, you know, it may, be, it may be phishing, it may be lots of different things, right? Um, and then all the way up to bigger enforcement matters like, you know, administrative proceedings um, at the TTAB or litigation. Well, with all of that in mind, if students are interested in getting into this space, looking at you know, becoming branding experts, where would you direct them in terms of classes besides the obvious trademark law? Yeah, so I have not studied um, like the syllabus <laughs> class offerings that well. And back in my day, um, I sadly graduated law school in the 90s. So there literally was a sort of spectrum of IP class. And then there was a class called copyright in the nineties and that was it. <laughs> so my understanding is that you guys have, you're very lucky to have class offerings that include gaming, for example, um, or even anything that's sort of internet law or online um, aspects of the law, I actually think are really valuable uh, and will serve you quite well as you start your practice. I can say one class that probably is not relevant to us, uh, representing professional athletes. Uh, but you should still take it. Uh, take whatever interests you. Um, I, I don't see. I actually have a dispute right now with the NBA. So you yeah, there could be crossover. You never know. <laughs> but that might be covered in topics and sports law right above yes. representing professional athletes. So True. right of publicity. Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Your advice there may be uh, the most important. The practice you think you want as a, as a law student may not be the one you want as a fifth or 
10th year lawyer. So take those classes that are interesting and that might guide you in a, in a slightly different direction, whether it be into to video games. And then I can, you know, you can look at video games and rights of publicity all the way over to branding in video games. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot of opportunity, I guess, out there, especially here on, on the West coast with the tech companies to find a, find an interesting niche practice where people are building brands. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I the key to success is like, Sorry. you know, ha being happy and passionate about what you're doing all day. So, sorry, I completely spoke over you, Charles. <laughs> no, no, I um, I was just going to say, I don't think I see like an IP survey course. So like patent, trademark, copyright. Um, but if that exists too, that's a good kind of first first step. But the other ones, there's a lot of interesting ones here. So, yep, go with what you're interested in. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And we will hopefully be talking again in the future.